With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes Ryan Blaney. Win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Got a good show for you this week. Frank Isola from the New York Daily News joins me, and we conduct an autopsy of Phil Jackson's time on the job and look at what the ceiling is for the Knicks' collection of high-priced talent. All right, let's go. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, Chris Mannix. Well, most of the intrigue heading into next season is in the Western Conference. You've got Kevin Durant going to Golden State. Questions about how many wins will Golden State get this season? What about Oklahoma City? What's the future of the Thunder? The Clippers could be the last go-round for the Blake Griffin, Chris Paul core and much much more in the western conference eastern conference not so much you've got the cleveland cavaliers still a strong front runner to repeat as eastern conference champions if not nba champions but you do have some interesting stuff going on at the bottom of the conference not the least of which is the new york knicks the next super team if you're to believe Derek rose talk about that and more bringing up frank isola you can hear him on sirius xm radio read him in the new york daily news and pti co-host these days frank That's, yes you're, you're that just, around the horn and, oh, sorry. I was going to get to that. Can you, let me, can you let me get to that for you? Can you let me do the introduction? Also on Around the Horn uh, a few days during the week. What was your initial reaction when you heard Derrick Rose pump up the Knicks and kind of put them on, at least verbally, the same level as Golden State? Yeah, I, I think that cocoon that he was living in in Chicago, he doesn't realize that he's out of that cocoon. And, you know, the Chicago media, not that they... You know, they're not reporting everything that happens, but he was the favorite son, and he had come from there. He was the youngest MVP in league history. So I think every once in a while, Derrick Rose would say some silly things, and it would just kind of get dismissed. When you're in New York and you're going to say stuff like that, hey, he's already been ridiculed for saying it. And he's had a couple of weird moments because at his press conference that they had for him in New York, which I don't, I still don't understand why Phil Jackson wasn't there. Like, mm-hmm. the head coach wasn't there. Like the Knicks didn't have any like top officials. That was there. strange. It was, yeah. and he, you know, he he cursed three times. I will not 
curse, even though this is a podcast and I'm allowed to curse, but you I are. won't. But he did curse at that. And not that it, yeah, he wasn't going on a, a tirade, but he did use profanity three times. Then he comes out and says super team. Then he kind of has a chance to clarify it when he was in Korea, I guess, uh, you know, within the past 10 days, two weeks. And he kind of doubled down a little bit. And he I did. Think, yeah. And I think New York fans. They like to hear that. Yeah, let's let's do that. But you have to be careful because you're going to open yourself up for criticism and for ridicule, and that's what he got. Yeah, and and I actually liked that deal when it happened because yeah. it's not you see the number twenty million dollars, but the big number is the one year, and it's just one year. You're off the books. If it works out, okay. Maybe you get yourself a good point guard for the next four or five years. If it doesn't, you clear him off the books. You go chase somebody else. I I wonder why he would. He can't really believe that. I mean, he can't look at this roster and say, well, you know, I got Joe here, Joe Kim Noah from. From Chicago, Carmelo Porzingis, who's still probably a year or two away from really realizing his potential. I just wonder what his thinking is. Is he he's never really been the vocal leader type or the type of guy to put that stuff out there into the universe to motivate teammates? I, I just wonder what he was thinking there. Yeah, and, and talking to a couple of people that know him, I think that he views it as all right. I'm in New York. It's a chance for me now to kind of rebrand myself. And I think he's already seen when I say something. Look how much impact it has. Look how much coverage it gets. And Amari was a lot like that when he first got here. He loved all the attention and saying things, and it and it makes big news. But I also think players they think so much differently than we do. I think that Derrick Rose looks at himself as the youngest MVP in league history. And he looks at Joe Kim Noah's finishing what that year? Fifth in the MVP. Mm-hmm. And Carmelo, one of the elite scorers in the league. So I don't think he looks at it as, well, I really haven't done that much the last four years. And Joe Kim only played 29 games last year. I think the player, I think they all look at it when I'm at my best, Carmelo's at my best, and Joe Kim's at my best. We're going to be off and running. We'll be one of the top teams by far in the league. I have no idea what to make of that team right now because. It could come together, I guess. You've got a lot of talent there, but every time you look, you go one by one through the through the roster. You've got a bunch of guys that need the ball. I mean, Joe Kim Noah doesn't, but Porzingis does. He may not demand it, but he does. Yeah. Carmelo controls it a lot. And Derrick Rose has been a score first point guard his entire career in Chicago. I mean, you know, for me, I think the playoffs are maybe the ceiling for that yeah. team. Eight seed in the Eastern Conference. 500 type of team, get into the playoffs, maybe give somebody a scare like Cleveland in the first round with a win or two. But beyond that, I don't have any higher expectations. And I also think, you know, when you look at the roster, you know, there's not a lot coming off the bench. And if you consider how many games Carmelo's going to play, how many games Noah's going to play, how many games Rose is going to play, you're going to need some quality backups. And, you know, these guys all have a history of being injured. And to be fair, like we said, you know, Noah was 29 games last year. Uh, Chris Stapps Przingis missed, I think it was the last eight to ten games of the season. He had the shoulder injury. We know Derek Rose's history. Carmelo is now a 70-plus game guy per season. Courtney Lee's obviously a professional player, but I think the bench isn't that strong. I think it's interesting that Phil Jackson, everything was rebuild, 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 but I think Phil Jackson is tired of not making the playoffs for three straight years. So he kind of spun it. Well, I spoke to Carmelo, and this is kind of what Carmelo wanted us to do, to kind of change gears, which isn't really true. It's almost like he's putting it now all on Carmelo if it doesn't work out. I think that Phil Jackson at least wants to say, if this is going to be the last year for him, and who knows if it will be, I think that Phil wants to say, all right, the year I got there, they weren't a playoff team. Well, guess what? You're now a playoff team, and I got you Chris Porzingis. The Porzingis stuff makes sense, because Porzingis is a franchise player, but... Everything else is just, I mean, if he truly believes that, it's nuts. Because that's not, it's not a playoff team going somewhere else. It's, yeah. you're, not, you're not building towards something. You're a playoff team. 
you know, barring a, a miraculous turnaround from Derrick Rose, you're a playoff team that has a really low ceiling and yeah. is probably a year or two from needing to rebuild again beyond that. Is that worth the $30-plus plus million Phil Jackson's already been paid with this team? I, I think that's something that Jim Dolan uh, would have to ask himself, and I think it's something that Carmelo Anthony's probably asking himself. There's no, You cannot tell me, Chris, that here we are this far into Phil Jackson's run and there's not one playoff game has been played yet, much less won a playoff series. They haven't even played a playoff game since he's been here. All they've done is lose, and Przingis is the feather in his cap, and he came out, I guess, recently and said, I should have traded for Jay Crowder when I did that deal with Tyson Chandler. Have you been riveted to Charlie Rosen's dispatches on Phil Jackson? I'll tell you what, there's nothing quite like reading his thoughts on Lou Odmanson from October. (laughs) That stuff is, I think you guys in the radio business call that evergreen. That uh, (laughs) Telling us what's going on with Sasha Vujicic and Lou Odmanson. Cut and paste that right into the middle of the copy. Especially in like today's day and age with like, everything's like on Twitter, everything's on in a minute, like like they're holding stuff from like eight months ago after the Knicks season is over. Nobody even cares about it. We're hearing about what happened in training camp in October. Really not that great, but I digress. I think they're obviously going to be better. They have to be better than they were last year. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Hornacek. That's the one thing yep. we, we haven't mentioned yet is the triangle offense. And I, I, from everything that I've heard, Hornacek's not that crazy about running it, but Phil wants there to be some aspects of the trial. He still wants his fingerprints on it, and it's tough for any coach to coach a team when you know the guy that really wants to coach the team is sitting 10 rows up, you know, kind of watching everything that's going on. The message I was getting from, you know, the people around Hornacek was that he would get to coach whatever style he wanted to coach. The message I was getting from people with the Knicks was that that wasn't necessarily true, that there would be, as you mentioned, the fingerprints of the triangle on that. If that's the case, this is not going to work. It's just not going to work. A coach has to have total autonomy to run his team how he wants to run. Now, Jeff Hornacek wouldn't have come into New York and said, let's play, you know, seven and a half seconds or less, which basically he did in Phoenix uh, in the last couple of years because it's a different type of team. There's no Bledsoe, Brandon Knight, the guys that played up and down with that group. But he would have played something closer to that than a a triangle type of system. Frank, I think it's going to end badly. If Phil Jackson insists that there are triangle principles within this offense, I don't believe it's going to work. I don't think if if a coach is not fully committed to that system, it's it's never going to pan out. A couple of things. Could you imagine, by the way, another like a high level coach coming in there? Maybe that's why they didn't interview these high level guys. And, or get to these that, well, guys. that had a lot to do with it, and I think that's why Phil really wanted Kurt Rambis because Kurt Rambis was was going to run things the way that Phil wanted it run. The players did not want Kurt Rambis. Now, whether or not you know management or ownership was kind of like, no, we don't want Kurt Rambis here. Because it is strange how, you know, Rambis was the guy, he was the guy, then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Phil interviewed a couple of people and hired Jeff Hornacek. Mm-hmm. And Derek Fisher, by the, his second summer league as head coach, he started getting away from running the triangle. And that's really where the rift between Phil Jackson and Derek Fisher started when he stopped. He wanted to alter it a little bit. Now it's funny that Phil's saying, well, we're going to let Jeff kind of do his own thing, tweak it a little bit. But you didn't let Derek Fisher do that, and you ended up getting rid of him. Here will be the problem that Jeff Hornacek will have. On the first day of training camp when he shows up and their first practice, if they start force-feeding the triangle, he's going to lose a lot of players, and the number one guy is going to be Carmelo. Because yeah. Carmelo's going to say, I thought this was, you know, this was all supposed to be different. And you know how it works with coaches. You have to have trust between the coaches and the players. And if the players think that you're just doing something that management is making you do— they're going to lose respect for you. That's, that doesn't mean that they're not going to like Jeff Hornacek, but they're going to look at it like you're not running your own program. And that's a big thing with coaches, and you're 100% right. When it comes to how the team is run, the coach has to have autonomy. He's got to run his type of system. 
It has to. That's the only way it's going to work. The number one priority for Jeff Hornacek, and I think you'd agree with this, is is developing Porzingis. He has got to be the guy that continues to take steps every year that Jeff Hornacek is there. How does he ensure that Porzingis—I don't know if this should be a, a number of shots Porzingis gets or a number of minutes he plays or what position he plays— but he can't take a back seat. We can't, Frank, be sitting here in December watching Porzingis shoot four times in a game. That, that can't happen. And, you know, he's so aggressive it might not. But if, if that winds up being the case, that's – I don't care how many games the Knicks are winning. That's not good for their long-term health. Yeah, and that's why on a team this year, and if you look at Derrick Rose, okay, Derrick Rose, especially now that LeBron and Russell Westbrook are signed, maybe it'll be the summer of Derrick Rose yep. next year. Derrick Rose is going for a contract. And he talked about it last September – that everything, you know, he wants to strike it rich. So, I mean, that's great for the Knicks that he wants to play well, but yep. it should be about Przingis. And Carmelo obviously is still going to get his shots. But to me, you have to build everything around Przingis. That seemed to be the way they were kind of headed, and it's almost like that's being sidetracked a little bit. The future of the team is Przingis. Everything that they do, and I think Carmelo, I think, understood that last year, and I think he was okay with it on some level, realizing that, you know what, this guy's a pretty good player. He and I together could be a pretty good combination, but Derrick Rose is a scoring guard. So I don't know how that's going to work, even with Carmelo. That's going to be very interesting to see because Jeff Hornacek, the thing is for Przingis, A, to stay healthy, which is going to always be a key for a guy like that, but he's a hard worker. His work ethic is off the charts. He's a great guy. He defers to his older teammates. He understands kind of the politics and the dynamics of a locker room where he doesn't walk around. I'm the, you know, listen, the organization, we've seen this with every organization. They're going to take a young guy like that and they're going to try to market the heck out of him. But Przingis kind of knows that there's a pecking order and that's why he really earned the respect of his veteran teammates. He's a very well liked guy when everybody knows that he's the one that the organization's kind of pushing to be that guy, which isn't easy for a young kid to navigate, and he did it terrifically. When I watched Porzingis last year, I had visions of Porzingis, the stretch five, with another stretch four out there, and all of a sudden you've got the beginnings of you know the next coming of Dirk Nowitzki, yeah. you know, where you've got a, a guy that does what Dirk did and reinvented the power four position. Now you have... Joe Kim Noah signed for multiple years with the Knicks, and you know they can probably play together. But does that not take away the likelihood that we see Porzingis at five more often, or does I, it matter? I mean, I, when I think uh, everyone feels that that's going to be his position eventually, you play him there, and like you said, a stretch five. The problem with the triangle offense what is a nightmare he would be as a five man. I oh, mean, look, keep, like the likes of Brooke Lopez trying to defend him at, at the he'd be, five he'd spot. Be a matchup, I mean, and think about he opens up the court then he opens up the else, lane, yeah. and that's why with the triangle offense. Too often, the big men are in the lane, clogging the lane. You know, they're constantly yelling from the bench for, you know, Robin Lopez to, you know, dive to the basket, but that's clogging the lane yeah. for guys. So it, you've hit the nail on the head. It's got to be about Przingis and kind of finding the position that's best for him. And maybe at times their best lineup will be when Noah's not on the court, and maybe Przingis is at the five, Carmelo at the four, and what, kind of work from there. What happens, let, let's say it is a 500 season. What happens to Phil Jackson then? Does it? I mean, does he stick this thing out for multiple more years, or do you think it's more likely he cuts bait and takes off and goes back to L.A.? It's, isn't it amazing, though, when you think about what's gone on in L.A., Luke Walton is there now coaching the team, and they did hire Brian Shaw, am I correct they about did. that? They assistant coach, yeah. Yeah, so it seems kind of like they're getting the gang. Yeah, Phil's gang. Back together, exactly. But would Luke Walton, after two years with Steve Kerr, want to run no, whatever Phil wants to run that, out there? That's going to be a big thing, and it still comes down to, do Mitch, uh, will Mitch Kupchak allow it? Yeah. And will Jim Buss? We don't know the situation with Jeannie Buss and a Jim Buss. A lot of politics. Yeah. Exactly. But if you're Phil Jackson, think about it. Now, his ego is taking a huge hit here, and you know that that bothers him. It bothers him big time. And 
he's making a ton of money. And it's not like, let's face it, he's not like some of these other general managers that we know, like Sam Presti or R.C. Buford, where he's going to like these minor like college games and traveling all over to try to uncover the next good player and watching D-League games. He's not suffering from exhaustion, Phil Jackson. He's not working. I'm not saying he's not working, but he's not working his fingers to the bone, right. so to speak, and he's making crazy money. Yeah. So I think that he might look at it like, you know what, this isn't the worst thing in the world. I make a ton of money. I think the thing that bothers him the most is that he's so far failed at it. I don't think there's, you know, people could spin it any way they want, but if you write a book called 11 Rings, you're basing yourself on wins and losses. Well, guess what? We'll, we'll then do that for you as a team president, and I think... What would the record be? Is it uh, under five hundred by a lot? Forty nine or seventy nine and one forty nine or something? Yeah. It's something crazy like that. It's yeah. not. It's it's a poor record. Would his way. ego allow him to to walk away? I mean, you mentioned how he could justify it and say, "I got you into the playoffs. I got you, Porzingis. You're in a better place yep. now than what you were before." You think that's enough justification for him to say, "All right, now I'm done. I'm going to go back to my." Easier lifestyle. There might. Family. And, you know, let's, we, we know this about him. His health is not great. No. And that could always be a factor. And I, when I, when I watch Phil and when you see him walk, it's painful to watch the guy walk. Why do you want to be spending your winters here yeah. in New York? And two years ago, we had a brutal winter here last year, not so bad. But why do you want to be here? Especially yeah. at his age. He's a much older 71 year old guy than most people. He's had, a, he's had a lot of health issues. So I, maybe that would be the thing that would eventually get him to the West Coast. But I'll tell you what, though. Nick fans, maybe because of all the losing, they're like numb to it all now. But most Nick fans, think it, the reaction that I get from people, they think he's doing a great job. Yeah, they don't even care about the record anymore. Yeah. It used to be people were judged on the record, but now let's face it: you could come up if you're not going to use wins and losses to measure a guy, you could dream up anything you want. Then, yeah, most Nick fans say, "Oh, he's done great. He's done this. What was he supposed to do? They had to rebuild." All right, if you say so. Yeah thing about Phil Jackson, too, is that why he's perfect in some ways for New York is that he doesn't give a damn. Like no, What we right. say, he just does not give a damn. Yeah. He is going to do what he thinks is is what he's supposed to do and, and everything else. That's not always the case with the, yeah. some other people that ran the show out yeah. here. But he does also kind of like the hero worship. Yeah. And remember, the first year, his first full season, they were playing that video where it was like him talking about the triangle and all this stuff, and the fans were going, you know, it would be maybe like 40 minutes before tip-off they would play that. Yeah. They weren't playing that by year two. Yeah. The whole, like, the magical triangle, and they're going to sprinkle the the magic triangle dust on all the players, and, and here the Knicks are. They're going to be off and running. Well, I still remember Kobe that saying changed that, pretty quickly. that's a square. Like, I remember that clip of Kobe <laughs> telling somebody on the sideline, but that's not a triangle. That's yeah, a yeah. square. Exactly. There. And also, if you talk to most coaches – you know, when it was Jordan and Kobe, a lot of times late in games, wasn't there like a lot of isolation that mm-hmm. they were running for those guys? Of course it was. They were the greatest players of their generation. Yeah. They had the ball in their hands at the end of the game. And that's what I don't understand about Phil Jackson. I'll give you a dollar if you well, – forget that. I'll give you 100 bucks. Go back and look at every transcript that Phil has had since he's come to New York, and if he mentions where you could find the words Michael Jordan, I'll give you 100 bucks for each one. He never mentions his name. Mm-hmm. It's the most biz- – like, why wouldn't you – be proud of the fact that you won with great players. Mm-hmm. That's like that's your calling card. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a pretty nice legacy to have because that's not always the easy, easiest thing. There's a lot of different egos. He won when crazy Dennis Rodman showed up there. He won in L.A. with Shaq and Kobe acting like two babies. Like To me, that's pretty, that's, that is the greatness of Phil Jackson, that he's taken great players and he's won with them. And he's gotten a lot of breaks along the way, but more, more power to him. But he, I just find it bizarre that he never brings up Michael Jordan's name. It's almost like 
it bothers him that people think, well, my success is all because of Jordan. There's nothing wrong with that, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. The thing about Hornacek, too, to circle back to him for a second, is that he's he already seems to be kind of immersed in this Knicks culture. You don't really hear from him except on you know hand-picked kind of media outlets here or there. It's not... I, that's what drives me crazy sometimes. Like every, oh, most other teams in the league, the coach, the general manager, they're just very accessible. You can yeah. get to them if you want to, especially if you're, you know, New York Daily News or Yahoo or Sports Illustrator or whatever it is. You can get to these guys and have like a conversation with them. I've never really found that to be the case with, with these not. New York teams, except for the time when Donnie was there. When Donnie yeah. was there and he sat courtside, and that was probably the best and they hated most that. positive coverage the Knicks have had, though. Yeah. I mean, that's it's so contradictory because you do get positive coverage when you are accessible and when you don't you get largely negative coverage yeah and i think the one thing that jim dolan likes is that phil kind of really puts jim dolan in the background in terms of getting criticized now it's like well if things aren't working out hey you guys kill me all the time i went out and got the premier name in the nba i went out and got which was the problem you got the premier name in the nba not the premier general manager exactly and my thing was you hired this coach to do something he'd never done before which which is run a team but that's the corporate culture over there they they don't like it when guys talk even with when donnie would sit i'm of the belief that donnie first of all you know how donnie loves to sit courtside before games and watch guys work out to me I think because they were giving Donnie such a hard time behind the scenes, I kind of think he liked the fact that he was sitting there and he was always holding kind of this impromptu conversation slash interview with people. And here's the amazing thing about it, and you know because you had, you had been there for it. Like, Donnie Walsh was never just going to sit there and, like, off to the side, start killing people in his organization. No. It actually was not like that. See, him sitting there was great for the organization because he would defend the players. He would defend the coaching staff. He'd be combative, but in a respectful kind of way. And that's kind of the relationship that the media had when Jeff Van Gundy was here, where Jeff liked taking guys on for things that they wrote, not like belittling people, mm-hmm. but in that kind of situation, kind of challenging guys on something you wrote about Patrick Ewing or you wrote about Charlie Ward or jo- or John Starks, whoever it was. And he liked kind of that back and forth. And the way that plays out is the players then see the next day in the paper, wow, my boss or my coach is really sticking up for me, taking bullets for me, so to speak. And I think Donnie was very good at that. And I think it helps when you have kind of a point guy in the organization that does that. Donnie was great at it. Jeff was great at it. But they can't control that, and that bothers them. They want everything to be very corporate where they can control it. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. And now a word from Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts out of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash Mannix. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Yeah, for people that don't know, like the NBA is probably the most accessible sport of the four major sports, I think, because you've got these, you know, league-imposed media availabilities, yep. bef- you know, shoot-arounds uh, before games have to talk or else 
theoretically anyway, there's some kind of punishment right. for it. Practices you have to talk. And everywhere in the league, it's it's largely respected. I mean, whether it's a general manager or a coach or whomever, but except it's just it's just in New York. It's just with the Knicks where, I mean, you've been around a lot longer than I have, but you know, in the 10-plus years I've been around the Garden, it's just it's not a positive atmosphere at all no. when you do stuff like that. No, and, and, and the strange thing is, and I get it, they don't want you to become close with the players because then if you get a player's phone number, now you're calling the player up and now you're getting off the record stuff. That's the stuff that drives them nuts. Yeah, but that like, happens so, everywhere. I mean, exactly, like, and you're never going to stop it. Yeah. So And the players, like, I mean, Carmelo is great and to deal with. And they'll find a way, too. To, exactly. If a player wants to give you something, he'll 100%. find a way to do it. And, you know, Twitter, they'll direct message yeah, you these yeah. days. Yeah. And the players are great, though, to deal with. They really are. And you find yourself, when you go to Nick games a lot of times, you'll end up talking to the visiting team coaches and the visiting team players because they're kind of just there and they're mm-hmm. accessible where the Knicks, because the players feel it. They know that they're being watched at all times. And it kind of, to me... It puts too much of the focus on things that really don't impact winning. Where the players kind of have enough on their minds as it is, just let them focus on trying to get better every day and win where it's too, don't talk to this guy, watch, be careful what you say around him. I mean, come on. You're not stopping it. You know, the... That's out of the bag already. That's going to be a really interesting locker room this year with all the personalities and, and the stars, even if they're not stars anymore. Yeah. And that's... I mean, that that's going to be full up every single night, and some interesting stuff happening yeah. in there. Um, I mentioned the lack of intrigue in the Eastern Conference. I mean, is there? Are we still at that point where it's Cleveland's? No matter what, there's nobody. Boston's not there yet. Top of my head, you look at the Charlottes of the world. These these other teams there. Is Toronto. Still Toronto. I think. Toronto's right there. I don't think the Biombo loss is that big a deal. I mean, yeah. Mac Biombo got like what eighteen million dollars based on five games he played at the. Yeah, that was like the was who was the Nick uh, the big snacks there. Uh, Jerome James. Jerome James, who had that big playoff run in Seattle. I think that. he had one game. Oh my god, one game. That's got right. Thirty million bucks. I, I remember you were probably there, but I remember that press gaggle in a room at MSG where Larry Brown sitting there and Isaiah sitting there. And my question was, did you guys call? You know Nate McMillan and ask yeah. him because I had heard from Nate. Nate was not a big fan of, yeah. of of Jerome that you know, or at least not to pay him that type of money. And like Larry kind of looked at Isaiah, and Isaiah kind of looked at Larry, and nobody made those. I knew nobody made those yeah. calls, but you know, they went off on some tangent. But of course, we did all our homework and research. I don't even remember him playing. I remember like <laughs> maybe one game that he played. Yeah, in he, thirty plus million dollars, he, he, was, he was a nightmare. But in terms of the Eastern Conference, I think barring a LeBron injury, that that's the only thing that yeah. can open it up. Like yeah. and I, you don't want to see a guy get hurt, but I don't know. Early on in the playoffs, he twists his ankle. You're out two weeks. I don't yeah. know, something like that. Otherwise, I think now, too, I think LeBron, now that he's won, I think there's a lot off of his shoulders. I think there's a lot off of Kevin Love's shoulders. I think the same thing with Kyrie Irving. To me, they'll still kind of be a bit of a soap opera. There'll be some ups and downs with the Cavaliers. I think LeBron will take his you know prerequisite five to yep. ten games off and go to Miami. There'll be December drama, like yeah. there usually is. But they, you know, they're at the point now where they know they could win anywhere. They don't need to be the number, even though they probably will be the number one seed in the East. They don't really need to be that. I don't, you know, I don't know who could pick them off. You know, you, it was funny you mentioned the Knicks being an eighth seed and maybe putting a scare into them. The same thing maybe with Detroit. But that's a problem uh, with the East. We keep waiting for it to get better, and there's so many disappointing teams. Miami now is kind of off the map, so to speak. Who knows? Maybe Atlanta. Indiana's the one team yeah. where if they get their act together, because now you do have Jeff Teague. They, they made some totally good Thaddeus Young. Himself. Yeah. Larry Bird said at the end of the year he wants to play faster, wants to score more, and the, the guys they got, they, they, I just don't know if they're that talented. You know, yeah. Thaddeus Young is a good player, starter on that team. Jeff Teague probably has one or two more good years left yeah. at his age, at that stage of his career. They're upgrades over what they had yeah. before. 
But you know, it's a, you're, you're also asking Nate McMillan, who has historically been a slower playing coach in yeah, no. Portland and Seattle, to reinvent himself in some ways and be this kind of up-tempo uh, sort of coach. But, Boston's the one team, though. Boston's yeah. interesting because they continue to make these gradual improvements. Horford is a big improvement for them. They still need to make that one big deal, and I think the Russell Westbrook re-signing killed them. I think they were going to be willing eventually to roll the dice on Westbrook and trade for him without a contract extension. They would have wanted him to say he was going to re-sign. But think about Boston. I'm, I guess I'm kind of closer to it than most, but you know, guys don't necessarily sign there as free agents. But when they get there, they usually exactly. find they like it because exactly. the atmosphere. You know, obviously with the coaching great, staff they've had, yeah. but it's also a great sports town. Yes. And the sports stars become legends up there. Yes. And I mean, you and right now you have two living legends there. You have David Ortiz and you have Tom Brady. We know that it'd be perfect for Carmelo, I think, to go there. Yeah. You know, as the kind of scorer he is, and I think Carmelo would fit in perfectly. And I think the people in Boston would fall in love with him pretty quickly because Carmelo gets criticized a lot, but Carmelo's actually a very good guy. I think probably some of the criticism, he probably doesn't understand that at this point. Maybe a lot of it is just kind of mocking and a bit of uh, ridicule. But I think he'd be perfect up there. I really do. Would he play the four position? And I know he's been resistant to it in the past, but has, he, has that changed at all, do you think, in recent years? I think he knows that it's his best position. Yeah. I just don't think he wants to bang like that for 82 games. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of, you know, I don't think he wants it every single game. But to me, the year that he finished third in the MVP, he was mostly uh, stretch four or, mm-hmm. you know, undersized power forward, so to speak. That was his best year all the way around. And that was, by the way, the Knicks won 54 games that year and won a playoff series, something they hadn't done since 2000. It's been a while. The positivity around Melo right now is, I don't know if it's as high as it's ever been, but you know, coming off a third straight gold medal, arguably, and, and I think it's true, but arguably the best USA basketball player ever yeah. because of what he's accomplished both as a team and an individual. And that statistics. means something to him. He'd like to, you, you need to say that to him when you see him. He'd I think he is. I, I, look, I, I think the numbers speak for themselves, and him being a part of the, that core group of players that rebuilt the USA basketball program, the last man standing after Chris Paul and LeBron James bowed out. I, I, you'd be hard-pressed. I mean, who's on that list? Jordan, of course, because of 84 and 92. David Robinson has a bunch of medals from his time. Ewing has two. Ewing has a couple as well. But nobody has four, three golds on that list. Yeah. I mean, they just they don't exist. And I think that there's a lot of things that factor into it. Number one, he's always going to be grouped with those guys that he was drafted with, which is LeBron and Wade, and then Chris Paul's his buddy, so he gets kind of thrown in there too. So, you know, LeBron's got the championships. Wade has the championships. You know, LeBron is obviously at a much different level. To me, this was something that kind of set Carmelo apart from everybody in his own mind. All right, like you mentioned, LeBron's not going to Rio. Dwayne Wade's not going to be there. Chris Paul, I'm here, and I have the chance to win my third gold medal. I think that's why he got very emotional afterwards talking about it. Because I think Carmelo, I think it bothers him that people don't view him, or maybe he feels like he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. He did win a national championship at college, and the next year he went to a Denver team, which it's either 15 or 17 wins they had won the year before. They made the playoffs, and he made the playoffs every year up until three years ago with the Knicks. So I think that that whole, like his reputation, I think, bothers him. And I think he's also grown up as a person. Like I keep talking about, he's very good to deal with and all these, you know, kind of social stances that he's taken. You know, this is a guy who, when he was, I think it was 19 years old, he was on a video, a YouTube video back in Baltimore with a noted drug dealer telling people don't snitch. And now here he is all these years later standing up on stage at the ESPY Awards and, you know, kind of speaking out and saying, listen, we all need to come together. We got to put an end to all this like nonsense that's going on 
in the country, and I think he's just a much different guy. It's you know he's now in his thirties. He's got a son, and you've seen his son in the locker room. Whenever if the kid is not in school, his son is with him. I mean, you know, he has a, as every father should have with their son a good relationship. But Carmelo has a very good relationship with his son, so I think he views kind of the world differently. He's been all over the world. He does things now like he goes to the Met Gala and the you know the Cannes Film Festival. So he's he's broadened his horizon. So I think he views himself and the world differently. That's why I think he felt compelled to kind of come out and say so. He's just a much different guy now than he was. The, the key for him basketball-wise is how much does he have left physically. Because yep. even during the Olympics, Chris, hey, Carmelo's going to be able to score until he's 80. But there are times when you know he's trying to elevate. He yeah. doesn't elevate around, not there anymore. He doesn't elevate around the rim like he used to. I, I think what often gets overlooked with Carmelo, too, and, and look, he, he brings a, some of it on himself with, with the poor shooting nights and you know the one pass possessions that plagued his, his career. But whenever he had good pieces around him, the right pieces around him. This teams did well. I mean, people point to those Denver teams. They sucked. They were yeah. they were bad Denver teams. Even when Iverson went there, Iverson and Mello weren't a good yeah. mix. Chauncey and Mello yep. were, were And a good they made mix. it to a conference finals. And they went to a conference finals that year. And that team was even flawed as it was. You look at what was it, 2012-13, after the last Olympics when they had that that really strong year. You had some solid pieces yeah. around Carmelo Anthony. I mean, you know, people sometimes forget they foolishly gutted that team to go get him. You know, and yeah. he was left in New York that first year with nobody. And that's why I think he it's funny, like the last six weeks or so, there's been a lot of talk about Carmelo as a leader, as a leader. I think he's done very well when he's had that veteran leader around him. It was Chauncey Billups in Denver, and then it was Jason Kidd in New York. Jason Kidd, I thought, was the best thing that had happened to Carmelo in a long time because Jason really ran the locker room. It's like he sat on a throne and everyone kind of deferred to him. And when you had Kurt Thomas here and Rasheed Wallace and Marcus Camby, I think Carmelo felt real comfortable. And the locker room was loose, and there was it was kind of like, let's go out and play hard, and then we'll have fun afterwards. That was kind of the... Uh, the right setting, and Carmelo fit in uh, perfectly with that team. He was he was great that year with Jason Kidd. Uh, let's talk about the Western Conference quickly here. The you know with Golden State, can you see any way in which that doesn't work? In which Kevin Durant goes there and it becomes the Lakers circa the Dwight Howard days? Yeah. The only thing is they've won already. Yeah. Without him, and they've been to two finals. And I think in their mind, they believe if Draymond Green doesn't get suspended, they're winning a second championship. So. I'm sure early on it's going to be a bit rocky. I think Steph Curry is going to love it because I think Steph Curry, as we do in our culture, we build him up to be the greatest thing. And then we kind of like picking him apart a little bit. And especially, you know, LeBron went after him in the finals and then he kind of came out and complained about LeBron with happened with Draymond Green. Then his wife on Twitter went after it. So went after LeBron a little bit. So Steph Curry, people started to turn on him a little bit. I think he's going to kind of like the focus all being on Durant. The question will be, well, how much will Durant like it? I think yeah. being in the Olympics and answering some of the questions already kind of helped, but it's still different once the season starts because every arena he goes into, he's going to be the enemy. Yeah, People are not going to like him. They're not going to like Draymond Green. They're not going to like him. Maybe some fans will turn on Curry a little bit. So to me, they'll become like the way the Miami Heat were. Everyone's going to want to watch them, but I think a lot of people are going to want to see them fail. 
But I don't know. I mean, I, they just look too talented. To I me. think the Olympics was huge for Kevin Durant. Yeah. I think it was enormous because before it even started, you had Durant leaving and Westbrook resigning, and that was like bottomed out negativity around Kevin Durant. Westbrook was the guy sticking with his team. Durant was the bandwagon jumper. He goes to the Olympics and, and dominates and, and plays the way we expected him to play. All of a sudden, we remember that he's still one of the all-time greats. He's going to go into training camp, and there will be some negativity still around him there. But there's going to be an afterglow from winning that those Olympics is going to make it, I think, a lot easier for Kevin Durant to transition in. Because yeah. some of those questions were asked, but more importantly, he had such a great offseason that, that everyone can kind of get on board with. And, and none of these divorces ever, you know, they're always kind of ugly. I just wish, like, you know, that statement that he came out with, talking about evolution as a man and all this nonsense, I, I don't understand... Why not just come out and say... Stop writing these Players' Tribune things. Exactly. Just, why not just that are say... They're clearly written by somebody else for the, of course. <laughs> the record. There's a couple of extra words. Why can't he that. just say, you know, I've, been, I've given Oklahoma City, you know, eight years of my life and it's been great. I really just want to try something different. I think by going to Golden State, I have the chance to be something, be a part of something that we could be a special team for the next five years and win. I know a lot of people aren't going to like the choice that I made, but at this stage of my career, I just feel like it's the best thing. for. I don't... Instead of like talking about all this like esoteric like blabber, I mean it's all yeah. nonsense. It, to me, it makes it worse. Yeah, and especially the way he handled. Remember the All Star game here? Yeah, when he was getting on the media because what we were writing about Scott Brooks, who by the way ended up getting fired, yep. and then and then he's the one that said that the, we shouldn't vote for awards. No offense, Kevin. Number one, we voted for you for. MVP, and I don't care if you want to take over my vote. It's, I, I don't Go mind. Right it's not that big of a deal, but they had that goofy player award thing, which was yeah. that was the most bizarre Did thing. Did that even happen this year? It was it, like not on TV, though. This no, year, right? they just like announced it. Yeah. It was weird. Because the TV thing didn't work. Yeah, media guy, they despised the most. You finished the second. Woj well, was first. I was nice. third. I get the bronze medal. Well, so they clearly did most that. of the voting from the West Coast then. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it'll turn out to be okay because Durant's just not an unlikable guy. Like, exactly. It was easy to hate Miami throughout because yeah. you had LeBron and the smoke-filled you know thing with the not one, not two, whatever. Yeah, you know, these guys were kind of slipped into villain roles. Golden State doesn't. They, they, these guys aren't villainous. Yeah. You know. But people are going to be rooting against Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think that part him. for him could be a struggle knowing that not everybody loves me now yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know. He's just playing for the right coach and he's playing in the right system and he's you know the the, the plays for Andrew Bogut that he would catch high. It's going to be Durant catching high. And he's going to have so many options to play. Like he's not going to average as many points, but his assists are going to go up. Yeah. His rebounds are probably going to go up to so play some four alongside Draymond Green. I mean, he's not the I don't think he's the MVP, but I think he's still in the top 5. Yeah. I really think he's oh, 100%. There. What about uh, when do you think the story will come out about Draymond Green? feeling like he wasn't playing at the Olympics because of all the stuff that had happened kind of over the summer. I think that I think Draymond it, Green was it? Oh cuz oh yeah. All of a sudden like he wasn't like he was like the perfect player, you know, the Swiss Army knife. He's the perfect player yeah. for the US team. All of a sudden he was like not even a really a factor on the I team. I think at all. part of that is and you know, far be it for me to criticize Mike Shashevsky, but I don't think Mike Shashevsky knows what to do with big men. I really don't. Like he's you, you got, and I said this on NBC when uh, it was like halftime of a game, and Demarcus Cousins had like three consecutive plays in the low post where he made great plays. They don't go back to him the entire half. I mean, when you have a big yeah, yeah. going, it was against the Argentina team. It was against Luis Scola, who even at his best is still a six yeah. eight power forward. You just wouldn't go back to the bigs. I, I just don't think that. Big men are not Coach K specialty. I mean, yeah. That's partly due to college. College is a guard-oriented game. You don't run a lot of those traditional. And he really hasn't sets. had 
Great no, ones, hasn't yeah. had great ones. No yet. offense to Jay Billis. Yeah, I mean, Jay, Christian Leitner back Chris, in the day, yeah. you got to go 20, get 20 plus Carlos years to Boozer. find Boozer, yeah. Second round pick, though. He still wants to play. Maybe he'll be a Nick. But it's it's still... <laughs> they, Add another you know, one. They'll, they'll, they'll Former throw, teammate of Derrick Rose. They'll throw crazy money at him. But I still think the picture that he took of his private parts, the punching the Michigan State yep. defense, this was all during, like right before and kind of during USA Basketball. And I think that... They kind of wanted to de-emphasize yeah. Draymond Green a little bit, yeah. you know, and not make him kind of the face of the team. Is there anyone in the Western Conference that I don't even want to say threat because it's so hard to take four games from that team in a, in a seven-game series? I mean, the Clippers are the only team just because they. What about the Spurs, though? <sighs> I mean, you have Gasol. Gasol's better than Duncan at this stage. Defensively, I still think Duncan. Yeah, is yeah you're right. He's not a good defensive not player. Not as not as great last year, Duncan. But he's still, you know, and, and you know this. Like being a great defensive player isn't about statistics. It's about what you say and how you yeah. quarterback that defense. That's why Garnett. I, Garnett, a great example. I thought DeAndre Jordan has gotten better at that. Yeah, as the times progressed, Duncan was really good at that too. But at least with Gasol, you don't really need a post press. Can we get can we get the Clippers and the Warriors in a playoff series? That's the thing. I mean, the that Clippers would be good. Just choking it. They away don't. Every they don't like time. you know the two teams don't like each other. It's no. a great like California rivalry. You make Steph Curry have to defend a Chris Paul. He has that's his toughest. You know, because Chris Paul far. can get nasty out on the court. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That was the guy when it, when people were talking when USA basketball was struggling in the uh, group stage. You know, it wasn't LeBron they were missing. I mean, it was Chris Paul. Like You're Chris right. Paul being out there on the floor. Sort of just you know being the coach on the floor and and directing them and guiding this team of ten new players that was the guy they missed. But Chris Paul, I mean, I, that's the one series I want to see yeah. just because yeah. it is going to be nasty. And and the West is tough because you look at New Orleans have Anthony Davis, uh, Minnesota has Carl Anthony Towns, Sacramento has DeMarcus Cousins. Those are three teams that didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, you know, so to me the quality goes all the way basically from top to bottom. In that now the Lakers, I think will still. I think the Lakers. I think people will have high expectations of them. I could see this year being a struggle for them. This is and with the Clippers, th- this is their last go round. I think if they don't have, if they bow out in the first round, problems. Whether yeah. it's free agency with Paul and Blake Griffin leaving, and and look, I I know it's it's cliche and it's kind of out there as this general idea, but I don't I don't dismiss the idea of Griffin going to Oklahoma. Like if yeah. Oklahoma City has you know a forty five fifty win season, which is very possible with a group of players. That they have, I mean, think about Blake Griffin and Russell Westbrook playing together, going back home to where he's you know, kind of a local hero. Where do you think Chris Paul will end up? New York? Could he come to New York after that? Could he come play with Carmelo for a couple of years? I mean, they're both getting up there. Yeah. Challenge LeBron? I mean, they, the Eastern Conference would be the place to go. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd have to go there because you, if you go somewhere else, where are you going to go? Like Portland or... And you, do you think LeBron is good for? Well, he's definitely staying for two years, which I I thought that was. I was a, surprised. That was a huge story. Yeah, I was really surprised. I thought he was one, and then eh, maybe you know because he could say to Cleveland, like if he win a second championship, be like I did what I wanted for you. He's always had this wandering eye. Maybe he'd go to L.A. once you know their young players started to develop a little bit and try to win something out there. I was surprised, but I I think it has to happen eventually where LeBron's game devolves a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And that's why if I'm a fan of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And if I'm Cleveland Cavalier ownership management, you have to be over the moon yeah. that this guy's giving you 
he, he's locked in for two more years. Because let's face it, once these guys start getting to their mid thirties, and LeBron to me, and you know the way he kind of walks, doctors have kind of said he's going to have back problems eventually. He always kind of has already had that, back problems. He yeah. has kind of that body where you could see that, like when he's thirty seven, thirty eight, and probably on his really last legs. That'll probably be what knocks him out of the league. Will be yeah. a back injury. Uh, look, that's why I say for a team like Boston, like you have got to have patience here because you're building a really good young team that maybe in two years, once LeBron finishes that that second year of his contract, going into year three, if you draft well and you make one decent trade, you could be right there as the favorite in the Eastern Conference once that all breaks down. Because I don't know, I don't see Kyrie Irving ascending to that LeBron-like throne. I, don't, nah. I just don't. He, he's a scorer. He's, exactly. a, he's a, an elite scorer, but that's what he is. Yeah. LeBron is a jack-of-all-trades. Yeah. I, I, I think Boston, it was tough for them because I think where they were picking in the draft, everyone was like, "Oh, they have all these assets. They're going to make this like you know blockbuster move. They're going to get the you know all they these try. different players." I, I know, Danny, and I, Danny tries, and it's weird. I mean, they still end up with Al Horford, who I think you know he's going to make them better. Yeah, and they have to hope the guy that they drafted turns out to be a pretty good player. Yeah, Jalen Brown. That was now you got Isaiah Thomas basically as uh, he's advising that kid. Yeah, so, um, I, so now you got two Isaiah Thomases to deal with up in Boston. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you what though. You know, if if Jalen Brown is is just okay and Chris Dunn turns into a player, that's that's going to be tough. Yeah, because Chris Dunn can play. I mean, yeah. watch. I know it's summer league, and we don't get too excited about summer league. But watching him, he was the player he was at Providence in summer league. It was this just a, a continuation of that terrific player that was there. And Minnesota is going to be a fun team. Obviously, the league thinks so. They put him on Christmas. Yeah, you know, with Wiggins. And Dunn, and obviously Carl uh, Anthony Towns. Who? How, how can you not like the kid? I'll be interested to see what happens with. Uh, New Orleans also, yeah, because that that's been a disaster there. Yeah, they they have to make trades. You, you've yeah. got to fix the talent around Anthony Davis to make it, you know, more palatable to play with him. Out yeah, there. I just don't like that at all. Tibbs, though, before I let you go, great coach. How do you see Tibbs navigating the waters of being a general manager yeah, slash coach? That's, that's going to be tough for him. I think that's is why- he going to like try to fire like the third assistant equipment manager <laughs> or something like that? Is, is how how tight is the micromanagement window with Tom? Well, who's going to be kind of like the like the voice of the organization? Because you know Tom doesn't really like doing media. We know Scott Layden doesn't. No, but you know they have a history, and I think Tom likes the fact that Scott was with obviously Utah. And, you know, spent some time in New York and then all this time recently with the San Antonio Spurs. So I think the two of them will work well together. It's just not going to be uh, Abbott and Costello up there at press conferences. Yeah. They're not going to be cracking everybody up. They're very business like. I think it'll be interesting for Tom because now you're really going to feel like this is something that's yours. And now, you know, he wasn't getting along with Chicago management. Now you are part you of are management. management. Yeah. So it, I, I'll be interesting to see how he deals with that. We know. When he's going to be at his most comfortable and at his best is when he's on the bench, and you could see it when he was in Rio screaming like a like a lunatic. And you know, there's going to be pressure on him because I think people maybe are being a little unrealistic about how good they might be that first year. But they have some pieces there. Even the kid Gorgie Zhang is yeah. a terrific young player. So I'll be interested. You could tell Tom all last year, and I know you you know you run into him, you talk to him. He wanted to get back in the worst way. Oh yeah. Yeah, he, there was no way he was sitting out two years. No, what did he, he spent his entire time watching watching game film. Like, yep. this is what he does. Yep. He, do, he doesn't go. He Travel to a bunch of different teams, scouting for USA Basketball, yep. like in Croatia. I mean, he's just he's, he's yeah. everywhere doing. This. And he's got as an executive, he's got a pretty good card to play in Ricky Rubio because if if Dunn turns out to be that's a player, your guy, that's my guy. That's even I, God. I wish he could shoot. He would be a much better player. <laughs> so does Tom. So, but if you know, if you if you think Dunn's the guy, and Dunn's remember he's 21 years old, 22 years old, he might be able to play right away with yeah. this group. You could trade Rubio, who's got a really manageable contract, and get something real in return, whether it's a, a swing yeah. man or a bet or a sixth man or some kind of player. 
with that group, you can do that. Well, I, I want to see how he does with Rubio because you know you look at Nate Robinson, the way he played under Tom DJ Augustine. Obviously, Derrick Rose became the youngest MVP. But your boy Brian Scalabrini says the big difference is those guys are very good pick and roll players. Yep. Where Rubio is not the shooter that right. those guys are, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's a problem for him there. Yeah. The other team I like out in West is is Utah, though. Uh, we mentioned the Jazz for a second. Perfect signings for them in the off season, getting Joe Johnson on yeah, that that's... team. I mean, they they badly needed veterans who could play, not yeah. back end of the bench veterans. They've got the young core intact already. They badly needed back end of the bench veterans. They they are actual playing veterans. They got them. Yeah, with that team. Yeah, so and it. and I thought it was disappointing the way last year ended for them. When you know they they were in it up until the last night of the season, yeah. and then obviously they were already eliminated before they played that joke of a game with Kobe Bryant, where, yeah. he, where he never stopped uh, shooting 50 the shots, ball. Fifty points. Whatever. I, I yeah. really thought that would have been big for them last yeah. year to make the playoffs. I get it. Kind of being in a playoff race is good for you as well because you know after the All Star break, you're playing in pressure games the whole way through. It's yeah. just too bad that they came up short because they kind of need to take that next step, including a guy like Gordon Haywood. So how many years is this for you, covering the Knicks? I think it'll be 21. I, must, I mostly do. Now, Stefan Bondi does it, so I mostly do like columns yeah. and float around, pick which, which road trips <laughs> I want to go on. Cherry pick. Like LA, <laughs> Miami, Boston. There you go. Washington. There you go. Detroit, not so much. I'll be in Cleveland opening night, though. Yeah, they play there opening Yes, yeah. LeBron gets his a ring, and Carmelo, yeah. poor Carmelo's got to sit there and watch it. <laughs> it's like, who is, who you know, they beat them Carmelo? two years ago. LeBron's first I game. I remember. I was there for that one. How, how, remember how badly LeBron played? Oh, that whole team played bad. That was when you know the super team is now together. David Blatt, everyone's was... going to win. <laughs> I remember. I was. I think Woj was there with me, and we're sitting there, and the Cavs had to play Chicago either the next. I think yes. it was the next night. Yes. And and we were joking with each other. We're like, you know, the David Blatt watch starts tomorrow. Like if they <laughs> lose to Chicago, it's it's. And, and remember the whole thing with LeBron? Like they did this whole thing with like the chalk, all this like orchestrated stuff. Oh yeah. He, to me, he was out of it the whole game. And then afterwards, it was like one excuse after another. Well, my wife, she had the baby and this and that. It was like, come on, LeBron, it's your first. I, I was like, you got to go off for like 40 points in your uh, first you, game I back. I remember you're already, we're already hearing whispers on that day about what the offense was going to look like. And you're, <laughs> hey, you're hearing, right. Like the seeds, like yeah. we joked about it then, yep. but the seeds were very initially planted yeah. in, in that team. So yeah. it's interesting. Frank, I appreciate you stopping by, man. Thanks a lot. Anytime, Chris. I appreciate it. That's it. My thanks to Frank Isola for joining the show. You can now hear the Vertical Podcast Network every weekday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio on Sirius Channel 214 and XM Channel 203 and on the Sirius XM app, Channel 967. Catch the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick every Monday, my podcast every Tuesday, and the Vertical Podcast with Woj every Wednesday on Sirius XM or, as always, on demand here on the podcast. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.